0: The other thing that sort of distinguishes us from the way platforms like Facebook approach this issue is we try to do it very transparently and we try to do it with human intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. And We think this is actually a case where human intelligence is the better approach.
1: As people struggle to figure out what news is fake or real online, a group of veteran journalists has stepped up to apply journalistic standards to determine which news sites can be trusted. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. NewsGuard is a startup founded by veteran journalists and entrepreneurs Steve Brill and Gordon Krovitz that employs humans rather than deploying code to fight false news online. According to its founders, NewsGuard uses simple and transparent journalism to help news consumers know who owns, writes, and reports the content they may encounter online. Joining us on the podcast today is NewsGuard's editorial director, Eric Efron. Welcome to the
0: podcast, Eric. Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, so first of all, let's start off with the elevator pitch. You know, what is News Garden? You know, how would you describe it to someone?
0: People are probably familiar with fact-checking organizations who which will look at claims that are made by either media or news organizations and tell you whether that claim is accurate or not. What we do is we actually look at websites themselves and try to determine what standards do these websites follow, and can they be trusted? So rather than judging one particular article, we look at websites according to some basic journalistic criteria. And it's all things that you know, everybody that you know, cares about good journalism would recognize. Does this website issue corrections? Does this website publish accurate news? Does the website tell you who owns them? Does the website tells you who runs them? So we're basically looking at how these websites behave in order to give consumers of news some more insight about whether they should take this website's information with a grain of salt, whether this is a news organization or a website that they can trust.
1: Okay, so how does that function then? You know, do people submit websites or are you guys out looking at news sites, people who are posting articles and then sort of examining a certain number of stories to to come up with that conclusion?
0: So what we've done is we've already reviewed and rated over twenty two hundred uh, U- US websites um, and we've picked those websites based on the ones that have the most social engagement. So that's going to be the websites whose articles, are shared the most on social media and we supplement that with websites that we learn about either because um, websites have asked us to review them or we see um, an article or a fake news article is trending and we, we try to figure out which websites are, are, um, are advancing those fake stories and we basically will take requests from members of the public so we get on our website Almost every day, you know, somebody is suggesting, hey, why don't you guys review this site or that site? And we've now started to do this in Europe. We've done um, over 100 uh, U.K. sites, and we're going to be moving into Germany, France, and Italy soon. So the, the formula is pretty simple. We use journalism basically to rate and understand journalism. So we have reporters. They're all trained journalists who will look at the website, assess the content, do some reporting, try to figure out who owns the website if the website doesn't tell you, and then we write these articles that basically explain how the websites act according to the nine criteria that we've mentioned earlier.
1: Okay, so and once you've determined that a website has a certain level of trustworthiness, then you you give a, a grade, or is it sort of a grade and a you know links to the to the articles that, that you've written.
0: Right. So each criteria has a weighted score. And if you go to our website, newsguardtech.com, you'll see um, the different criteria and how we weight them. And we write the article for each website that discusses each criteria. So, for example, when we talk about corrections, we'll tell you not just does the website run corrections, but, you know, how rigorous is their corrections policy? Do they make it easy for members of the public to, like, to locate them, to ask for a correction? That sort of thing. Unlike an algorithm, because we are human reporters, we call for comment. So if we have something that's critical or negative about a website, we'll try very hard to, to reach them and to get their comment, to make sure that we're not misunderstanding. So the other thing that sort of distinguishes us from the way platforms like Facebook approach this issue is we try to do it very transparently, and we try to do it with human intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. And we think this is actually a case where human intelligence is the better approach because there's more nuances, you can call and have a conversation and actually get engaged with the website. The other thing that I think is worth noting is we've had hundreds of websites in the U.S. that have actually changed their practices because of our assessments, either during our process or as a result of reading what we call our nutrition labels. The websites have gotten back in touch with us and said, you know what, we've added a corrections policy or we now tell you who our owner is. And so we've updated hundreds of our labels already to indicate that these changes have been made.
1: So how quickly are you able to you say you're accepting suggestions from people and maybe even websites that want to be graded as it were you know how quickly you're able to sort of make these assessments and give it a rating?
0: Honestly, if it's a kind of garden variety website of the local CBS affiliate in Topeka, Kansas, and I just made that up, um, (laughs) you know, that's not going to be that hard for us to do because, you know, you can kind of quickly ascertain that this is a legitimate website. You can kind of understand who owns it. So something like that, we might we'll, we'll turn around, you know, we can turn around easily in a day or less. But, you know, other websites that are complicated, political, ideological May have an agenda that they're not revealing, may have trafficked in fake news. You know, that's going to take some serious work. So we don't rush it. The only thing that we try to do very, very quickly on a very quick turnaround is we have something that we call our SWAT team. And what the SWAT team does is if we discover that a website that that nobody ever heard of is suddenly trending and we have Various services that help us understand that, then we'll quickly try to produce a nutrition label on that website on the theory that it actually would be a public service for people to know sooner or later that this website is out there and doing bad stuff so that's that's a SWAT team. We'll try to turn that, that something like that around in just a couple of hours, but you know normally you know we'll, we might spend spend a day or so depending on you know how difficult and complicated a website is.
1: And you know, I I want to talk a little bit about the human aspect of it. I know we've talked about this on our podcast before about, you know, trying to develop algorithms that sort of recognize certain types of trends, but this clearly, you know, as you said, is you're employing human beings to make a lot of these decisions. You know, how do you sort of maintain, you know, impartiality, being nonpartisan, try to grade everything in the relative terms that you would?
0: That's a really good question. You know, and when, when we say that we approach it journalistically. What I'm really saying there is, we approach it in an open minded way. We try to, as best as we can, to leave our own agendas and our own ideologies behind, the same way that a good journalist does. You know, I'm not saying that there's any such thing as pure objectivity, but we really do try to treat a website the same as we would whether or not it's a website that we happen to agree with or not. The interesting thing about the opinion sites is. You know, there's a very wide variety of quality out there. And with opinion sites, we just look for a couple of things. We want them to be clear if they have an agenda or an orientation. So if they're a pro Trump conservative site, then we would like us that we would like them to tell their readers that that's what they are. And the other thing is we don't want them to lie and we don't (laughs) want them to write false news. It's not as if we, we have. Some bias against opinion sites. I mean, there's some, you know, excellent content out there, but we do want people to be upfront about their agenda, and we want people to be honest about their agenda. So that's the way we do. We do our best to make an assessment, and the way you do that is you just spend a lot of time on the website. You go to the archive. You do research. You read a lot of articles. Um, we check all the fact-checking sites to see whether you know, groups like Snopes and FactCheck.org and uh, MediaBias.org and other organizations, whether they said anything about the site. Now, we don't just take what they said and then parrot it, but we use it as a kind of a guidepost to see whether there's things that we should be looking into.
1: It's interesting because a lot of the, you know, you, you mentioned fact check sites. I mean, a lot of them, their kind of focus is, you know, maybe on a particular political candidate, some something that he or she said or a particular campaign or, or a particular type of news story. And this is really kind of focusing on the, the outlet itself, sort of giving a you know, here's a blanket. This is where they're coming from editorially.
0: Yeah, and that's really what distinguishes us. You know, To my knowledge, we're the only organization that is trying to do that, which is to say applying all of these you know basic journalistic criteria to the websites themselves. And the service that we think we're providing, that we hope we're providing, is not to tell people don't check out this website. We're not trying to censor anybody. What we're trying to tell people is if you're going to take information from this website, you should know a little bit more about it. We give people lots of choices as to how much they want to know about it. They can just read the top line that we write that gives you a summary of the website and their standards. You can just look at a checklist of criteria or you can read way more than probably most people are going to want to read about this website. (laughs) So some of our write-ups are actually quite long and extensive. and you know I don't know how many people are going to read read those but for anyone who really wants to know about this website you know we're an excellent resource for that
1: so how embracing has different um news sites been to to being rated like this
0: Well, so what we've found, and as I mentioned earlier, we've had hundreds of websites that have improved their practices. I think that's an indication of how we've been embraced. I think that the organizations that care about these kinds of things um, (laughs) want to do really well by us. And that includes news sites that are straight news sites, that are conservative, that are liberal, that may have a specialized uh, interest in like health or or crime or, you know, various other kinds of niches. And really, for the most part, the reception has been very positive because when you think about it, the problem that we have right now in the United States and really actually in the world, what you know, a lot of people call the fake news problem is that it's getting harder and harder for people to kind of distinguish or discern between a legitimate source and a fake one or or a mischievous one, you know, a propaganda site versus a real site so for the people that are in the business of doing real journalism and good journalism, they actually appreciate what we're doing because we are making distinctions or how, trying to make distinctions between sites that you know may adhere to some basic standards and that don't. And what's been really interesting for me is some of the sites that are newer, that have been started not as you know, a website of a legacy news organization, but that's that we're born on the web. Some of them don't have the same sort of journalism DNA that a website of a, you know, of a legacy newspaper would have. But that's not to say that they're not interested in having, you know, good standards. So they really do engage with us. Sometimes they ask us for their advice. You know, what do you think a good corrections policy is? That sort of thing. So, you know, I don't like to tell any website what to do, but we're very happy to say, you know what we think. For example, for a corrections policy, it just so happens that, you know, this particular public radio station has a really excellent corrections policy where they not only make it very easy for you to report a correction, but they make it easy to find them and the corrections are very clear. So, you know, we're comfortable in telling people this is a best practice you might want to check out.
1: For a news consumer, you know, how does a news consumer employ this, this tool?
0: Our content, like most of the content that people now encounter in their life, is disaggregated, which is to say there isn't like one place that you go to get all the NewsGuard content. Instead, there's a couple of different ways you can encounter it. One of our big customers now is Microsoft, which has licensed our content, so it now shows up. If you use the Microsoft's mobile browser, which is called Edge, if you're using Edge as your browser on your phone, when you go to a website up in the address bar where you would see the URL or the address for the website, you'll also get a little shield. That's the NewsGuard shield. And when you click on it, you get to see our top line. And then if you can click through and get the whole write up. The other way to see our stuff is we have a a free plugin, which is available on our website. I'll shamelessly plug it again. It's right NewsGuardTech.com. Newsguard and when you have that plugin, then for most browsers that you use, that the content will show up when you do like a search. So you do a Google search, and let's say you're interested in doing some research on, let's say, fracking. So you do a Google search, and you search for the word fracking. When the results come up, you'll see the source, the website, And you'll also see a news guard shield so for example with fracking we discovered that there's a lot of information out there which is actually coming from an interested party whether it's from the oil and gas industry or lawyers that are looking for clients and it's not always clear when you look at the website you know who's behind it so we will tell you you know this is an actual website that is from the american petroleum institute that might be hard for you to figure out from the website So basically, you encounter it in search, you can encounter content on your Facebook newsfeed. And again, if you have our plugin, then when an article shows up on your Facebook newsfeed, you'll see our shield. And before you go to the article, if you want, you can click on the shield and find out a little bit more about the website. So what
1: type of feedback have you gotten from consumers?
0: Well, really amazing. You know, I think that for a lot of people who have been, you know, frustrated with, you know, the debate that's been out there over fake news and the, the, all the misinformation and disinformation, I think that a lot of consumers see this as, you know, a very, very worthwhile. And one way to measure that is we've had incredibly positive feedback from librarians around the country. And now increasingly around the world because they see this as a fantastic tool for them. You know, librarians are are in the business of making good information available to people. They don't want to censor, and the NewsGuard tools really fits into that agenda. So we've had I don't remember the number, but hundreds of libraries now have installed NewsGuard and again is a surprisingly large percentage of people get their internet access through their public libraries. So we feel like that's really been a great public service.
1: You mentioned that, you know, you started out in the U.S. and that you're looking to go into other countries. You know, what are some of the hurdles that you perceive that you're going to have to face in sort of getting a wider adoption of this?
0: Well, that's a good question. You know, the first one is probably applies to any, you know, U.S.-based company that's trying to You know, make it in Europe is, you know, you don't want to be sort of perceived as these, you know, know it all Americans who are coming into your market and telling you how to do things. So we have, in each market that we're looking to expand into, we have hired very high level, in some cases, high profile journalists who are serving as our advisors and helping us sort of understand the market. Because, you know, we don't presume, I mean, the folks who work um, for NewsGuard are veterans of, you know, all different kinds of major news organizations in the United States, and we really know this market. We can't presume to know the markets in France and Italy and Germany or the UK. So, you know, we've hired people to help us understand that, to make sure that our standards You know, make sense in those markets. You know, we've tweaked them a little bit here and there just to make sure we understand, um, you know, what we're getting ourselves into. The other thing that's been interesting in kind of comparing and contrasting what we've been finding in some of these markets is generally speaking, there's more of a regulatory environment in Europe. I think part of that is just historical. There's not a First Amendment, so it's easier for the government to kind of start getting involved in this stuff. So the tech companies, you know, and the same ones that we know and love from here, Facebook, Google, et cetera, they're actually under more pressure in Europe than they are here to do something about this problem. So they've been very, very receptive to us. You know, we're kind of seen as a solution for them because – a lot of these tech platforms they don't want to think of themselves as publishers they don't want the liability or the responsibility so we actually give them a, a good story to tell because when they license us and have this content on their platforms they're providing a service for their customers so it's been very positive in Europe
1: so in the interest of transparency newsguard is a is a startup you know how is it funded
0: there was an initial fundraise. And there was a $6 million was the initial raise. And we are now raising revenue from various clients. The, the one that I mentioned earlier, Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft is not only licensing us in their mobile browser, but that's going to expand into some other offerings that they have. And so the business model is rather than we don't charge the end user, which is to say the customer, it's not a good housekeeping seal of approval kind of thing where the people who were rating pay us, which is, I believe, how that works for good <laughs> housekeeping. I, I hope I didn't just slur good housekeeping. But we, are, we charge you know, the companies who arguably got us into this mess and also have all the money in the world. So the business model is to charge the, you know, the companies who distribute and make all kinds of money from this content to have them help us solve the problem.
1: Okay, so a company that has been, you know, Corporation X, who's uh, been getting a lot of scrutiny. People want them to help sort of solve this problem. Hey, here's a here's a resource. Let's license this to be part of our our product, so that people can employ it. It makes us look better, and it helps solve this problem that we're getting a lot of bad press for.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. The other thing I should say in both the UK and in EU. There are regulatory schemes that are in operation and laws that govern this kind of uh, stuff. And they really are pushing the tech platforms to do something like NewsGuard. And that's real teeth because if the tech platforms don't do it themselves, then they are facing you know, real, real regulation. So the atmosphere in Europe is even more conducive than it is in the United States for this kind of solution.
1: So how would you like to see NewsGuard grow? Where, where would you like to see it in five years?
0: Well, you know, we want to continue the global expansion because, unfortunately, the problem we're trying to solve is a global problem. The other thing is, you know, we, we have either because of who we are and what we did before we got to NewsGuard or what we've learned since we've gone to NewsGuard is we really are, as an organization, we really are experts in in media and in the the problem of false news and of misinformation and disinformation. And so we do fantasize about expanding and doing more of our own original journalism around those issues. You know, we have lots and lots of great stories to tell. And right now, we don't really have a platform to tell them on. So I think that's probably, you know, something that's a little bit further down the line, but would make a lot of sense for us as a kind of a brand expansion.
1: Your job as editorial director, what is, I mean, when you say editorial director, one thinks of some sort of editor, you know, what is your role in that?
0: Well, I am some sort of editor. In in fact, before you called, that's what I was doing. So, I oversee the editorial staff. We have about twenty editorial staff that are staff members, and we have you know, I don't know twenty or so freelancers all around the world working for us. So you know, I basically oversee that operation, you know work to you know maintain our standards, you know, and then just as you imagine, lots lots and lots of editing. We produce a lot of content, and there's a lot of care and fitting that goes into this stuff you know, we have the analyst who drafts the label. We then have what we call the first edit, and then we have another edit, and then every every label is reviewed by our uh, CEOs that you mentioned earlier, both of whom are experienced journalists themselves, uh, Steve Brill and Gordon Krovitz. That's not enough now that we've expanded into these new markets. We have our editorial advisors in those markets reading these labels. So, you know, th- this is not a you know something we slap together. There's a lot of care that goes into, to getting it right, having it read well, you know, all that good, good it stuff. Just,
1: it just seems like a another digital uh, journalism uh, entrepreneur opportunity, I guess.
0: It is. And it's, you know, as I'm sure you've kind of gathered, it's kind of different than others that you've heard about in terms of what our revenue model is. You know, we're not a nonprofit. We are, you know, we really do want to be a sustainable business, which is why we we are looking for customers to license our stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, everybody in NewsGuard comes to work, you know, every day, very excited about our mission because we really do feel like what we're doing is needed and important right now, certainly for the United States, but, you know, and beyond.
1: Yeah, here, here. I, I agree. And it's great to see journalists stepping up, helping out, doing good journalism to help all of us to uh, find stories and news that we can trust. Eric, thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: I enjoyed it and uh, look forward to staying in touch.
1: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? you get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell.